0: Okay, I need to ask you a quick question. We're in Luke chapter 20. This is shift week six. Um, Have you ever heard the expression, there are no stupid questions? It's not true. There are actually stupid questions. Um, If you're a teacher and you're in the house, then you know as a teacher, these are the things that you say So your whole class will feel comfortable enough to ask the question. But then when they ask it, you're like, yeah, that was a stupid question, right? That's the way that works. So uh, there are actually stupid questions. We're going to see two of them in in the passage that we're going to read today. But I'm going to because I love you and I love me. I'm going to switch the word stupid to make and just call it bad, okay? Because I don't want you to walk out of here with even a hint of being offended because thinking like I was calling you stupid, Truth of the matter is, I would be the one calling myself stupid, but we're just going to change it from stupid to bad, and we're going to talk about um, bad questions and better answers. All right. So we're in Luke chapter twenty. Um, I, I was thinking about this. There are a lot of things that reveal the grace of God. Yes, I mean I can hand you all the mic and go around the room and think of all kinds of things that that reveal the grace of God. Here's a couple: forgiveness when we sin. Can I get an name in on that one? Come on. How about this: provision when we squander. Have you ever taken money or resources and just totally squandered it, like blown it on something, and then later you regretted it? You're like, what was I thinking? The bill's coming due, and why did I do that? That was so stupid. And then God provided for you, and he didn't have to, but he did. Like that's evidence of the grace of God, right? Um, But the grace of God in this passage we're going to be in blows me away because even when Jesus was asked bad answers, do you know snarky people? Are you a snarky person? I, I, my spiritual gift is sarcasm. There is no doubt in my mind. It is my love language. It's not Wendy's love language. Pray for us. It's a struggle, you know, but it's just, I don't have to think about it. Just sarcasm just oozes out of me, Right. And so if I had been Jesus in this passage and I had gotten asked these two questions, I'm telling you, you'd be reading a different Bible. It wouldn't be a good one, right? I would, I would come up with some snarky, sarcastic response. I wouldn't have to think about it. It would just flow out naturally. But listen, evidence of the grace of God. Check this out. He's going to get asked. Jesus is going to get asked two bad questions, and he's going to give two better answers. He didn't give them answers that they deserved. He gave them answers that they needed. That's the grace of God. And if you've ever asked a bad question of God, I mean, aren't you thankful that he doesn't shame us and like, you should be better, you should know. Like, he just, he just gives us a better answer, and I love that. So this morning, uh, that's what we'll find out. If you're here, you've ever asked bad questions, then um, you, you should be thankful for the grace as well. So I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 40. Yes, all those verses. And here's what's going to happen. If you're in the house and you have ADD, Anybody with me on that? I, I, I struggle with some of that. So somewhere around verse 24-ish, you're going to take a mental vacation. Okay? You're going to be on the beach somewhere, bouncing a beach ball, like toes in the sand, whatever. And somewhere around verse 35, you're going to come back and be like, what happened? Right? And it's okay. It's, it's a, there's a lot here. You're going to get a little bit lost in it. But then we'll just go one question at a time, and it'll all make sense in the end, and you'll love it. Okay? You ready? Here we go. Luke chapter 20, verse 20. Watching for their opportunity, the teachers, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. Now, remember, these are the leaders that Jesus just talked to. Last, last Sunday we were in the previous passage, and these are religious leaders. And what do they want to do to Jesus? Do they want to throw him a party, or do they want to kill him? Kill him, right? There's tension. They don't really like him. He, you know, they don't get along. So they're, that's who we're talking about. They're looking for a way to get Jesus. They sent spies pretending to be honest men. And they tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he could, so he would arrest Jesus. Now, quick question, and then we'll move on. How many of you have ever said things that you immediately regretted? Me too. So I read that verse and thought if if somebody sent spies to try to get me to say something that could get me in trouble, it would not be a hard job for them. But this, they're gonna find it's hard to get Jesus to say something wrong because he's Jesus. All right, verse 21. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think. You, You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Verse 23, he saw through their trickery and said, Show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Am I the only one that wants a Caesar salad right now? I'm just like. Picture the dressing. Okay, sorry, I'm hungry. That's all it is. Verse 26. So they failed to stop him by what he to- by what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer and they became silent. Verse 27. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. Sorry, religious leaders who say there's no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife but no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died. Then the third brother married her, and this continued with all seven of them who died without children. Finally, the woman also died. Am I the only one in here right now who is hearing if a train leaves a station going 55 miles an hour and another train leaves another station going 35 miles, when will they? S-? It's like This is like a bad math question. Like what in the world, right, is going on? So verse 33, so tell us, they said, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. And Jesus replied, marriage is for people here on earth But in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will never die again. In this respect, they will all be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob." Verse 38, so he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are all alive to him. Well said, teacher, remarked some of the teachers of the religious law who were standing there, and then no one dared to ask him any more questions. All right, so here we go. Let's talk about two bad questions. Questions and two better answers. Before we talk about the questions, let me make sure you understand what makes a question bad. Okay? So here's what makes a question bad. Because the two questions that we're going to talk about aren't necessarily bad questions. It's the, que- the question themselves aren't bad. Here's what makes a question bad. Are you ready? Really simple definition according to this passage. It's when you ask a question and have no intention of giving any consideration to the answer. That's a bad question. Let me give you an example. You're at home. It's been a long day. You've eaten supper. You're sitting on the couch. It's all, you know, you're holding a drink. You're watching a TV program. You hear some noise in the kitchen, and you know your spouse is cleaning the kitchen. And you say out of your mouth before you can even stop yourself, Honey, would you like some help with the dishes? And he or she says, Yes. If you then don't get up off the couch to go help, that was a bad question. If you keep eating your Cheetos and drinking your drink and watching Jeopardy or whatever you're watching in our house, Wheel of Fortune, that's a bad question because you asked a question and had no intention of giving any consideration to the answer. I, I love it when parents say to their teenagers, would you like to take out the trash? When my dad asked me if I would like to take out the trash, I gave him the obvious answer, which is no. No. And then I found out he wasn't really asking. Why don't you just tell me to take out the trash? If you're going to ask me if I want to and I say, no, don't, why why am I in trouble? I don't understand, right? So there are bad questions. It's when we ask questions and have no intention of listening and considering the answer. So that's what we're going to find here, okay? In our Scripture today, we find these two questions. Here's the first bad question. Should I honor the government with my money? Now, the way they asked it was, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar? But we know that Caesar does not rule over us, right? We don't live in a Roman civilization with a Roman governor. So Caesar's not over us. This is our question. Should I honor the government with my money? It is very possible. Today is May the 13th. It's very possible that about a month ago, some of us in the house were wrestling with that very question. God, do I have to pay them money? Like, they're just going to waste it. Why would I want to do this? And that's the question that they were asked. Jesus was asked that question Should I honor the government with my money? And it's a bad question, not because money questions are bad, but because they had no interest in actually learning from Jesus. Because verse 20 told us what was the reason they asked the question? Not to learn, but to trap, right? This one to trap them. Well, here's what they were hoping they were hoping that he would say yes or no. If he says, yes, you should honor the government with your money, you should pay taxes to Caesar, then guess who he just ticked off? All the people that are following him that don't want to give their money to Caesar because they don't want to, be, they don't want to give their allegiance to him. But if he said, no, they should, you should not pay your taxes to Caesar, then they were going to go to Caesar and say, well, you got this guy that's like telling people they don't have to pay you. They're just trying to catch him in that trap, which makes Jesus' answer all the more profound. When they couldn't trap him, Jesus responded with a better answer. It wasn't yes or no. It was honor God with your money. Like, why are you even bothering to ask me about the government? I'm telling you, you should honor God with your money. He said, show me a coin whose face is on it. And he said, well, then give it to Caesar if it's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. There's this verse in Matthew 6, 33. You've probably heard this before. It says to seek first, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Bad question got a better answer, which is can we not have a conversation about what you should or shouldn't do with your money when it comes to the government? And can we instead have a conversation about what you actually should be doing with your money, which is honoring God? And if you'll honor God with your money, He'll provide everything you need for taxes and everything else. As a matter of fact, in some of the other gospels that cover the same conversation, there's another time that Jesus turned to Peter and said, and by the way, now that we know that, go catch a fish. And when he caught the fish, there was the coin in the fish. What in the world? I would fish if that could happen again, right? Like he catches, out of all the fish, catches one fish that has a denarii in his mouth, and and he uses that to go pay. And Jesus was just simply saying to Peter, like, if you trust me, if you'll seek me first, I'll take care of all that. Like, I'll send you fishing, you'll catch money and pay your taxes. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? April the 14th, everybody would be fishing. It would be so cool. I was on the pier at Myrtle Beach trying to catch a shark with lots of money in it, right? And I love verse 26. When Jesus gave that answer, you just see these people that are trying to trap him, and they're just like, uh, yeah, it's good. Good answer like and they, they couldn't ask him anything else right so that group leaves and then another group comes in it they're called a group of sadducees let me just quickly give you some background on the sadducees so you know who they are they were this jewish political party they were made up of priests and they were usually pretty wealthy They're often mentioned with the Pharisees. So if you read the New Testament, you'll see stuff like the Pharisees and Sadducees came and they talked to Jesus. But here's the deal. The Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees and the Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees. But they both hated Jesus. And so they teamed up to kill Jesus, right? It's like, um, it's like, Wolfpack fans and Tar Heel fans teaming up to not like Duke fans, right? Or Duke fans and State fans not like liking Carolina. It's like you get this little triangle thing going on. They just couldn't stand each other, but they didn't like Jesus even more. Here's the other thing about the Sadducees. They did not believe in a resurrection. It said so right there in verse 27. It said a group of, of Sadducees came who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. This is a little bit cheesy. Maybe you've heard this before, but... um. You'll never forget it after I say it, and you feel free to groan. But they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Yeah, there you go, right? I threw up a little bit in my mouth when I said it, but it'll help you remember. So they asked a question about a woman who outlived a bunch of brothers and never had any children. And, yeah, it sounds like that bad math question, but here's the deal. At the end of it, they asked which of the brothers she would be married to. In heaven. So, if we're taking that and making it the second bad question, then I'm going to phrase it like this: Who will I be married to in heaven? Now, that's not a bad question. Have you ever wondered, like, who I'll be married to in heaven? And will, will we be married? Will I know Parker? Will and Sydney? Will Bella be there? Do all dogs really go to heaven? Like, we could think all day long. I think we all know that they do. Cats, I'm not sure about, but anyway. So. And mice, without a doubt, straight to hell, right? No kidding at all. But um, but it's okay to have those questions. It's okay to wonder about that stuff. That doesn't make it a bad question. Here's what I want you to get, okay? What made that a bad question is that the people that asked about the resurrection didn't believe in it. It's like, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. I think about Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell, told me, he was talking one time about how he was— He's an apologist, and so he was having this conversation with an atheist. And, and he kept asking, answering all the atheist questions about God. And finally the atheist was like, well, wow, like, yeah, you pretty much answered all my questions. And Josh's question to him was, well, are you ready to follow Jesus? And he goes, oh, no, uh uh-uh. So he had no intention of ever even acting on the answer. And that's, that's kind of where these Sadducees were. Sadducees who did not believe that a resurrection would take place are asking Jesus a question about the resurrection. That makes it a bad question, right? And Jesus saw right through it. He sees right through that. And he, I love his answer. It's, it's, I've paraphrased all that goes on in about four verses here, and I've just given you the better answer. And, and the better answer is who I'll be married to in heaven? Jesus. That's who I'll be married to in heaven. Now, listen, I would like to be married to Wendy in heaven, Y'all know this. When I get to heaven with with Wendy, like if we went walking in together, that would be great. The way to go, right? Just go together. And we showed up. And I see Jesus. This is not going to happen in heaven. Uh, Jesus, if you could just hold on a couple millennia, I'd like to spend some more time with Wendy. It would be like, bye, babe, because that's the lover of my soul. That's who I'm married to in heaven. Now, we could have discussions back and forth about will we actually be married in heaven to people, blah, 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 blah. But Jesus said marriage is for people here on earth. And so what I believe about marriage is this. Marriage here prepares me for Jesus there. It prepares me for heaven. So I, I don't know how your marriages are, but marriage is supposed to, like, sandpaper on each other. And make us more and more holy? I mean, pray for Wendy, right? Think about Wendy's job. Her job is to be my wife and to help prepare me for heaven. I got a long way to go. I got the easy part because she's ready for heaven, right? She's good to go. She's like as holy as they come. Not quite perfect, but getting there. But that's what marriage does. It rubs us and sandpapers us and prepares us. Marriage. And so what Jesus is saying is when you get to heaven, you're not going to need that anymore. You're already there. It doesn't mean we love our family less. It just means like Jesus. Jesus. So that's what I'm living for. It's what we should be living for. And so when these Sadducees are asking who I'll be married to in heaven, Jesus is saying me if you get there. And I love that. I love how what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, God's not a God of dead people. He's the God of the living, and, and I am that God. He's telling them this. I'm the God of the living. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As a matter of fact, in a couple weeks, you're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again and show you that I'm the God of the living. And that's what he's trying to get at. What I love about Jesus is that he, he's pushing them past just talking about things and having to make a decision. His answers reveal their heart. And so that, that brings us to this week's shift, right? Uh, again, a question is only bad if we ask it and have no intention of considering the answer. And so what we've got to do this week is we've got to shift from, that's a big word, from the hypothetical to the actual, okay? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in his passage. We've got to shift from the hypothetical to the actual. He's talking to a group of spies, right, who are asking a silly question. They have, they have no intention of knowing the answer. And then he's talking to a group of Sadducees who are asking a question about something they don't even believe in, just trying to trap him. And what he's saying is, listen, you can ask me these questions all day long, but you don't really care about the answer. You don't really care to know if you'll be married in heaven. What I'm telling you is you, wanna, you need to want to be married to me. You need to believe in resurrection. I'm pointing you to what you need to know. I'm trying to get you ready for a better wedding in a better place to a better groom. And that's me. There'll be, Revelation says, the wedding feast of the, of the lamb. That's what we're going to be a part of in heaven. And he's saying, he said, she's like, you're trying to trap me. I'm telling you, I'm pointing you to something better. I'm pointing you to something better if you'll just stop talking hypothetically and start talking about actual things. So we're going to go through this chart that I've got for hypothetical to actual, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up and be done. Hypothetical conversations. Do you know what those are? They're conversations that happen, but nothing, nothing ever really happens. It's like I told you a while back that my wife and I play the lottery game. We don't play the lottery. We just play the lottery game. Right, and the lottery game is when you're driving down the road and you see the billboard that says $453 million, the lottery game is, God, what would we do if we won that? And you have this hypothetical conversation about what you would do with money that you don't even have. But you're not doing any of that with the money that you actually have. That's the shift from hypothetical to actual. As a matter of fact, if I ever win the lottery, it'll be a miracle, Right? Because what it will mean is I found the ticket on the road that somebody won the lottery, threw down the winning ticket, and I picked it up. And I will turn it in and I will get the money. It'll be awesome. So let's talk through, let's talk through this, okay? The first one is is obvious. Hypothetical talks and actual does. And do you see Jesus doing this in these conversations? It's like, don't talk to me about just talking. Don't, I don't want to just have this conversation and nothing actually come from it. Do something with it. When I was in seminary, yes, I've been there. I actually have a Master's of Divinity. Woo! When I was there, one of my biggest struggles was like theology classes, And I I love theology. I love doctrine. But, man, I would sit in these classes, and they would just talk about all these long, big words. And, like, I'm just sitting there going, but I'm a youth pastor, dude. Like, I'm going to go stand in front of teenagers, and how am I going to talk to them about something that, like, this, when they're going to be like, so what? Like, how does that even work in my life? I mean, we get so into talking about things hypothetically, and we don't do anything with it. The worst people on the planet about hypothetical talking have got to be politicians. Am I right? Like when it's campaign season and they stand up and go, if I'm elected, that's a hypothetical statement. If I'm elected, I will do all these things. And we sit there and go, ain't no way they're doing that. But I like you, so I'll vote for you. Right? That's the way it works. And then when they get in office and they can actually do something, it doesn't happen. Hypothetical versus actual. A couple verses for you. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.20, I'm giving you some ammo, right? Do you know people that are all talking, no action? Do you know these people? Are you that person? I don't know. But if if you know people that talk a lot and rarely do anything, if they're a believer, 1 Corinthians 4.20, you need to call them and go, dude, I got your life first. Here it is. You ready? 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Love that. That's God's way of saying stop talking and do, right? John thirteen seventeen. You may not have known this, but the note sheet that you're writing on, that you're writing on right now or is in the seat in front of you, if you flip it over to the back, at the top of that note sheet is this verse. It says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I think the NIV says, now that you know the truth, you are blessed if you do it. Because here's the thing. At our church, I'm not here to help you learn. I'm here to help you live. So you can take all the notes in the world, but if you don't actually do those things, according to John thirteen seventeen, there's no blessing. The blessing is in the doing of it. So hypothetical talks, actual does. Hypothetical costs nothing. Actual costs something. In other words, we can talk all day long about what we might do, and it doesn't cost us a dime. But if we're actually going to do something, it will cost us. 2 Samuel 24, 24, King David is going to go by this threshing floor, and he's talking to ruinah because he owns it. And the king replied to ruinah, no, I insist on buying it. Because Ar- ruinah was like, you're the king, just take it, it's fine. And King David was like, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. There's something about paying a price When we actually do something. And if you've ever thought about doing something and then tried to do it, have you noticed this difference? Like, huh, that wasn't hard at all in my head. Like, I have thought, I'll just go run a half marathon. And then you try to go run a half marathon, you're like, that was a lot harder than I thought, and I'm only at mile three. Right? It's like crazy. Hypothetical, actual. Um, Hypothetical allows me to be Right? Have you ever had conversations in your head with people that you're um, dealing with? Like maybe you got a conflict and you have this conversation in your head and you talk it out in your head and you're right. You always win. Like I always win. I win every argument in my head. You win every argument in your head too, right? When we're hypothetical, when it's just up in our mind, it allows us to be right. But when we actually do something, it allows us to be used. I just want you to know that being used is way more important to God than being Right? He really is not about you having the perfect plan. He's about you being willing to be obedient and just take a step. Remember the, that, remember the tire swing that uh, we talked about that God showed Chaney? Like God's just on the side going, go. Do it. Well, I'm still trying to prepare my head. I, I'm trying to train myself and visualize. Just go. Just jump. I got you. He wants you to do it. Hypothetical is unproven. I don't mean this in a scientific um, format because I know, like, if you're a science teacher and you're here, you're like, no, no. If you have a hypothesis, you have to test it. I get that. But, I mean, just up in our head, this conversations that he's having with these men in this chapter, when it's all hypothetical, it's unproven. But when you actually start to do something, it proves the legitimacy of what you're trying to do. A couple verses for you. First Peter 1, 6-7 says this, So be truly glad... There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Can I tell you what this is saying? A proven faith is valuable. It's like gold. People could talk all day long about what they would do if they go to Africa. Prove it here. Like, all talk, no proof, prove it here. And it's valuable. It's valuable. People don't care if you're always right. they just like, are you trying to live out what you say you believe? And it becomes valuable. Uh, proven faith is, is also repeatable. Um, Philippians 4.9, Paul's writing, and here's what he says. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me, everything you saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Jeez, I love that, right? I love that. What he's saying is, like, you've been watching me, right? You've been wa- we haven't just been talking. We've been, you've been watching me. Now that you see what I did, go do that. Go repeat it. And then the last shift is virtual obedience to visible obedience. Let me make sure that you understand this. Um, do I have any gamers in the house? Gamers play video games? Okay, good deal. Um, there were also grown men here that were not willing to raise their hand, but we all know that you're playing video games. Stop, right? Seriously. Um, when I, virtual obedience versus visible obedience. When I was youth pastoring, I still remember the night that this kid came running into my youth group and like he had this big smile on his face. And he was pumped. I, I didn't know what had happened, but you could tell he was really stoked about it. And I was like, dude, what? Happen in your? Why are you so happy? And he's like, I, I, I won the championship. I was like, what? Like when you're a youth pastor and you hear stuff like that, you have to like pick kids up, and put them on your shoulder, like jumping all around the room. Yeah, like I'm like, getting everybody involved. Like big deal. And like while we're cheering, I'm like, of what? And he goes, Madden football. Oh, woohoo! I thought you were actually playing a game. He's like, I, I was playing a game. Like, it's Madden football. It's a game. I was like, I know what Madden football is, dude. I thought you were actually playing football. Well, I was I was playing football. No, no, you were playing with your thumbs. Like, I thought you were playing football, right? Like, virtual championship versus actual championship. Listen, a lot of us are that way with God. Like, we virtually obey in our head, and we don't do it in life. Hypotheticals, virtual obe- obedience actual is visible obedience like other people can see you doing it now listen i know because <laughs> we've lived long enough that kid might be somebody who's making a living playing video games because you can actually make a lot of money playing video games um it kind of makes me wish that i had practiced more because i've not, i'm not a good madden player i'm just like i'm a button pusher i don't even know what i'm doing You know, it's like Q, R, L, C, Z, whatever, B B B, B, B. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just pushing buttons. And so if I beat you, it's totally accidental, right? But, man, listen, virtual obedience doesn't count for anything. God's after visible obedience, actual obedience. And just to make sure you get this point as we wrap this up, I have brought in a famous speaker, one of my favorite speakers. I love Francis Chan. And um, I'm going to show you a quick clip, and I need you to pay attention. They're going to get it all queued up. It is literally 58 seconds long, but it will wrap up this entire thing. I think it will make a lot of sense. Let's check it out. So hypothetical versus actual, right? Talking about cleaning a room versus actually cleaning a room. What I want you to get out of today is that you and I do what we want to do. Your big idea says, says this, our hands and feet reveal our heart. Our hands and feet reveal our heart. So we could talk all day long, talk, 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 talk all day long about what we really love and value, but it's what we actually do with our hands and feet that reveal what we actually do value. Once a month, our um, church will send a team down to the community table and we will serve lunch on the, it's the fourth Sunday of every month. You know, we could sit here and talk about loving people in our city. We could talk about how God wants to feed hungry people and take care of people that are poor and need help. But at the end of the day, that's just talk, right? So what what do we do? People stand up on their feet. They use their feet to walk out a door. They hopefully use their hands to drive, although some people are really talented at knee driving. I'm one of them, like but we hopefully drive with our hands. We get down there. We use our hands to give them the food, right? We use our hands to clean up. And we can say that we really love serving down there, but it's the actual going and doing that proves it. What I want for you is to, is to take this away. Like, you, you can talk all day long about what you say you care about. But you will do what you care about. You ever ask somebody to do something with you and they say, ah, I don't have the time. You ever heard that? You know it's a lie, don't you? They do have the time. They just don't choose to use it on that. They might have wasted their time and now they really feel like they don't have any. But here's the truth. Come ask me sometime if I want to go, if I can do something with you. And you'll probably hear me say something like, I, I, I can't do that because I've chosen to, to do something else in my time. I'm going to be with my family that night. I I can't come be with you because I'm choosing this. We all have 24 hours, right? We all do what we want to do. When people say, I can't do it because I'm too busy, what's funny is they're only too busy because they're busy doing things that may or may not really matter. Or they're doing things that matter to them, and now they're choosing not to use their time somewhere else. The point here is come out of the hypothetical conversation and get real with God enough to say Look, I'm not just going to talk hypothetically anymore. Because if we just talk hypothetically, we can sound really mature. But maturity moves. Maturity does, right? It doesn't just talk. It does. Our hands and our feet reveal our heart. So the question would be, what do your hands and feet reveal about you? We know what they revealed about these guys in this text. But what does it reveal about you and about me? I want you to close your eyes and we're going to pray for you. Um, Specifically, I want you to think about this. We're at the end of this 50 Days to Fire. We have one week left. I believe this, that during this time, as we've been asking God to give us direction, here's what I think is happening. I think he's actually giving us direction. I think he's actually speaking to people in our church and so today, you could, you, could, you could be tempted to stay hypothetical, like do all the what, well, what if I did this or what if I did that, and stay hypothetical and be so afraid to ever take a shot that you never move, but I think the point of this message today is God's calling you out of the hypothetical into the actual, and he'll give you a plan. He'll give you some spe- specific steps, but he's going to call you out of this hypothetical and into the actual. And so I want to pray over you this morning, okay, that God would just continue to crystallize in you. Here's the plan. Here's your next step. And we're not just going to, be a, we're not going to be about talking. We're also going to be about living in power. So, Father, in your name, Jesus, I just pray over the house, God, those of us that are here. And as we've been fasting and praying and you've been giving us direction and dropping things into our heart and our spirit, God, this morning is just a really good reminder that it's too easy, it's too safe to just talk about it. What you're calling us to do is actually put action to the words. And so I pray over those of us in here, Lord, who have sensed you stirring us, God, that you would this week continue to give us, just flesh out steps for us and what you would call us to do next. And, and I pray, John thirteen seventeen over this family, God, over the gathering family, That we would not just be blessed by knowing the truth, but that we would be blessed because we then do it. God, I want us to walk in that blessing. And I speak that over our church in your name, Jesus. Amen.